God's Word together tonight to Romans 13 as well as 1 Peter chapter 2. I've been looking back and forth between those passages. Romans 13 found on page 948 in the Bible there in front of you. And then 1 Peter, a bit later, page 1015. And then we'll be turning in the back of our hymnals to Article 36 in the Belgic Confession. Last week we looked at the government of the church. Tonight we look at the Bible's teaching on civil government, the relationship Christians are to have towards uh, the civil government. Start by looking at Romans 13, or listening to Romans 13, then turning to 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we'll look at Article 36 and the content of it tonight as it lays out Scripture's teaching on the matter of the Christian and civil government. From the Word of God, then, Romans 13, starting in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Those words... Inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, then words inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Article 36 of the Belgian Confession takes up the matter of the civil government. We'll turn there now. Page 870 in the back of your hymnals. Page 870. You're summarizing what Scripture teaches on the matter of the civil government. We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained kings, princes, and civil officers. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained, that everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. For that purpose, he has placed the sword in the hands of the government to punish evil people and protect the good. 
And being called in this manner to contribute to the advancement of a society that is pleasing to God, the civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. They should do this while completely refraining from every tendency toward exercising absolute authority. And while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them, with the means belonging to them. They should do it in order that the word of God may have free course, the kingdom of Jesus Christ may make progress, and every anti-Christian power may be resisted. Moreover, everyone, regardless of status, condition, or rank, must be subject to the government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word praying for them that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways and that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. And on this matter, we denounce the Anabaptists, other anarchists, and in general, all those who want to reject the authorities and civil officers and to subvert justice by introducing common ownership of goods and corrupting the moral order that God has established among human beings. Well, dear people of God, these matters before us tonight are been, have been challenged by people in the past. Some say that this article should not be in the Belgian Confession. One has stated it this way, the church has overstepped the boundaries of its prophetic authority in the inclusion of this article in the church's confession. John Calvin takes up this matter when he says, On the other side, although this topic seems alien to the spiritual doctrine of faith, it is needful to avoid two extremes. I'm paraphrasing him here. He's a bit more lengthy. He's worth reading, book 4 and uh, section uh, 20. He says it's to avoid two extremes. First, to correct those who want to throw off the divinely established order. And then secondly, the other extreme, to correct those who want to set up the prince above God himself. The Bible speaks clearly to God's intention for civil government, to the relationship, and to the relationship of the Christian to civil government. Tonight we want to look at that. When Jesus prayed for his disciples, he did not pray that they would be free from all authority. He did not say, take them out of the world, but he said to the Father, protect them while they're in the world and sanctify them by the truth. And sometimes those things come into conflict, don't they, in our, in our civic realm, in our uh, polis, in our city, we have rules and regulations that are at odds with what God's Word teaches. So therein lies the, 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 the challenge, but I, I think it also illustrates, and, and Kelvin says that illustrates here, there is a role for civil authorities in keeping with what God's Word teaches. That's what we want to look at tonight. We're not to be uninterested in the civil realm. We care about this world. We have something good to say and to do while on earth. God is sanctifying us that we would be salt and light in the world. That's what Jesus calls His disciples to be, salt and light. Well, the first thing we believe and confess is that God has ordained Kings, princes, and civil officers. We see that in Romans 13 very clearly as 
Paul writes that those in authority are there by God's institution. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Proverbs 8 says the same thing. The Lord says, by me, kings rule. Let me turn there a moment. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. Notice that. By me, kings rule, but they rule in what is just. There's the guidance. By me, princes rule and they are to govern justly. We'll get to that in a moment. But why has God ordained civil authority? Well, we see in Scripture it is because of the depravity of man. And the author of the Belgic puts it that way. We believe that because of the depravity of the human race, our good God has ordained these civil authorities. He wants the world to be governed by laws and policies so that human lawlessness may be restrained. That everything may be conducted in good order among human beings. Civil government is is to make laws and policies which, what? Restrain lawlessness, restrain sin, and establish good order. They are set up, Peter says, to look at 1 Peter 2 or reflect on those words, to do what? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Back to Romans 13, civil rulers are to punish the wrongdoer, verse 4, carrying out God's wrath on them. They're to be God's servant for doing good, verse 4 of Romans 13. They're to see that everything is conducted in good order among human beings. Good being defined by God, of course. God is good. And he sets before us what is good, and therefore we follow his word, his commands. I was so grateful when a few weeks ago, the new state attorney general of Florida was put before the microphone after being nominated by the governor there, and he cited the second use of the law. He even said Calvin's name. He said, Calvin's second use of the law is that the civil authorities are to restrain evil. Wow. He went on to say this, the law in and of itself cannot change the human heart. He recognizes that. It can, however, serve to protect the righteous from the unjust. Now, there is a solid, clear proclamation of what God's Word teaches so good to hear that. There are those who understand what the civil government is to be doing, how it is set up to protect order in society. We know about human depravity. We know our bent toward covetousness, toward selfishness, toward revenge, toward anger, deceit. All of these things are described very clearly in the Word. If left to ourselves, we know what happens. When God describes what happens there uh, early on in human history in Genesis 6, He says, he, He looks and what does He see in man? That they were doing only evil all the time. He decrees the importance of authority 
to keep that from happening. Government is necessary. Man should not be left free to act according to the dictates of his heart. In fact, it's there where sin and evil reside in the human heart. So they are, the government is given, the officers are given from God for the purpose of protection for the order of society. Well, in order for them to, uh, to, for those laws and policies to have any meaning, civil authority has to have power to enforce them. And God says in Romans chapter 13, verse 4 again, that he gives them the sword. He warns that the government has the sword. This is not just an Old Testament uh, implementation. We think of Genesis 9 where where one who who, uh, murders another will himself face severe judgment, even the taking of his life. That's not just an Old Covenant matter. It's in the New Testament. The state bears the sword to bring severe penalty upon severe crime. Whoever takes the life of another human being is under judgment of death. Life is sacred and must not be recklessly taken. The Mosaic law gives degrees of punishment, and I'm not going to go into those tonight, but that in keeping with that principle, the punishment fits the crime, but government has that power. And this power is given that government might contribute to the advancement, looking at the third paragraph, now Article 36, to contribute to the advancement of a society, what? That is pleasing to God. Civil rulers have the task, subject to God's law, of removing every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel and to every aspect of divine worship. We'll come back to that second part in a moment. But government is established and is to be subject to God's law. That's the check on the other extreme, that, that uh, uh, the Scriptures make clear that we don't set up authorities that are above God Himself. They are subject to God's law. He is authority. He is absolute authority. Princes. Rulers, authorities may not do anything which is contrary to God's law. They are not above him. They should exercise their authority while completely refraining from, now verse, uh, uh, fourth paragraph, while completely refraining from every tendency toward exercising absolute authority. And so they're saying, we are given this power and no one can resist and say no to us, even God. And says here, while functioning in the sphere entrusted to them, in their, in their sphere with the means belonging to them. And we could do a civics lesson here about the branches of government and why those are split up the way they are. I'm not going to do that tonight. But, but just this notion that there's no absolute authority put in any one person or branch out of an understanding that there is uh, depravity in man and therefore there needs to be checks and balances but here, civil government follows under this God's law to refrain from every tendency of exercising absolute authority. Civil government may not give the right to murder. Civil government may not legalize anything that would destroy marriage. I know that's not in keeping with our culture today, but it's very clear from God's Word. God has made a man and a woman to be 
to come together and to live together for life. That the human race might be carried on. Government may not tell the church what she may preach or where she may evangelize. The civil government is not competent to judge those matters of doctrine and practice. The civil government has no authority to tell Christians to disobey God. Perhaps you noticed the end of the, uh, the article there, that asterisk, contains an earlier version of Article 36, and it was determined to be unbiblical. It, it led to those uh, believing that it, it, it followed that a state church could be, uh, should be the focus. The state having the task of not only watching over the public realm, I'm looking at some of those words now, the public domain, but also upholding the sacred ministry. Some said, well, the state then is, is ruling over the church. That, that's not how we want it. Well, the, the protesting churches were, were looking early on for help in reforming the church, and they wanted the state to help them to, to uh, encourage reform in the church. And... There are many uh, that we know, Elector Frederick III of Heidelberg Catechism fame, who gave support to the reform, uh, reform movement and helped with the Heidelberg Catechism. They were, they were sympathetic to the reformers, wanting the word to be primary and not hierarchy in the church that was over and above, adding and subtracting from the word. But this is also a dangerous partnership. For again, the state is not theologically competent to to lead the church in faith and practice. The head of the church is Christ alone, as we've seen. This paragraph was edited for that reason. Civil government, as we've said, does not have absolute authority. The state is to do this to remove every obstacle to the preaching of the gospel, to remove every obstacle to every aspect of divine worship. State should not hinder the spread of the word of God. It should have an interest in resisting every anti-Christian power. It says there in paragraph 5, the word of God must have free course, the kingdom of Jesus Christ must make progress, and every anti-Christian power must be resisted. Every anti-Christian idea, we could say as well, every system of thought which would dehumanize or destroy healthy civilization. So how do we relate to this? Should uh, Should we desire a Christian nation? There's this big discussion right now, if you've been listening, about uh, how, what does it look like and how does it, how does it present itself? Well, we're not going to get into that this evening, but, but most certainly we want godly leaders to rule. We want those who recognize themselves under authority, under God's authority, to be pointing to God and to his principles. How does this article then point us to Christ? Where do we see Christ in this? Well, Christ was that one who came at the... Uh, the choice of of the Father, and the one who pointed all to the Father, saying we are to do the will of the Father. We seek as best as we can in our fallenness to submit to the Word of God, and we want officers who are faithful in upholding the Word of God. For what does the Scripture teach? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. 
We should bring the Word of God to bear on every part of the governing of society. Some protest that the founders of the country intended separation of church and state. Well, that has been that statement, that concept, that idea has been greatly abused. The founders did not say that God's law has no place in the government of society. It needs to be rightly understood. The fact, in fact, the Word of God plays a significant role in the development of the United States legal system and structure. I'm reading a book now. Uh, about how heavily the Bible influenced the Founding Fathers. Daniel Driesbeck, reading the Bible with the Founding Fathers, a a very interesting book, how impactful it was upon the Founding. Even even skeptics like Thomas Jefferson and Thomas Paine and these others, again, I'm not going to give a civics lesson here, but even those who were skeptical recognized that the Bible had a good purpose to serve, that that there were principles there that needed to be given for any nation to be to be well ordered. He says he's not arguing that every one at that founding was Christian, but he shows through their correspondence and through their meetings that the Bible was foundational to the legal system and structure of the nation, which is why it's existed. I contend that's why it's existed as it has for as long as it has. We're a nation whose laws are shaped by the Word of God. Every Authorities should recognize that they're responsible to uphold these laws. They're responsible to protect the weak, protecting our legal system from those who would want to turn the country away from the laws of the land, from misinterpretation of those laws. Then the establishment clause of the, uh, of the Constitution, the First Amendment, does not teach that faith can have no place in government. Separation of church and state. It was written to keep the government from telling the church how it must operate. It was to keep the state out of the church, not to keep the Christian faith out of public life. Well, then, what is the relationship of Christians to the civil authorities? It is, do we not recognize our citizenship is in heaven? Paul says that, doesn't he, in Philippians 3? It most certainly is. Our citizenship is in heaven. But God has placed us here in this place now that we would be salt and light. The question is, must we submit to the civil government? Yes, everyone, writes Guido de Bray, everyone regardless of status, condition, or rank must be subject to the government and pay taxes and hold its representatives in honor and respect and obey them in all things that are not in conflict with God's word praying for them that the Lord may be willing to lead them in all their ways, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. God's command about the relationship to the state is clear. Romans 13, let, everyone be, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Titus chapter 3, be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient, be ready for every good work. What does submission entail? It includes the paying of taxes and revenue, includes showing respect and honor, calls us to be praying for our rulers that God may be willing to lead them in all their ways, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all piety and decency. Well, the questions that then come to mind are, well, what about when the government 
says that we are to act contrary to God's word? What about when the government says that we can't come together for worship? What about government that says we cannot call sin, sin? What about a government that redefines marriage to the hurt of society? What about states which uphold pro-abortion laws? Very clearly, again, the Scriptures come through that we are to obey in all things that are not in conflict with God's Word. We're to live peaceful and quiet lives in all piety and decency. There are times when the state enacts laws that conflict with what God teaches, what He commands. We must not foment rebellion. We must live upright and godly lives. And when we live out the truth, we show people that the lies that are said about us or perpetuated about Christians, that they are not true. Peter says that when he says live in such a way as to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 15, 1 Peter 2. By doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. We live free of sin, but not free of obligation to God and to our fellow man. Listen to what it says in verses 16 and 17. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. We know times in the New Testament where, well, throughout Scriptures, but I'm thinking particularly of the New Testament, where Peter had to say, well, we must obey God rather than men. There are times when that will be required. But when we say this, we want to show our clear joy in God and love towards our fellow man. To quote Lincoln in his second inaugural, to have malice toward none and charity toward all. We humbly and boldly plead with others to hear the commands of God, to repent of their sins, and to submit to God, to look to Christ in faith. This we must do. To go back to what I was saying at the outset of the sermon, P.Y. Young in his commentary on this article says this, to some Christians it comes as a surprise that the church speaks about the state in one of her creeds. And then he writes, under the subtle spell of pietism, quietism, quietism of faith, many have closed their eyes to the relevance of the Christian faith for all of life. Despite sincere beliefs and good intentions, they have helped to restrict the gospel to the domain of private opinion and practice. As a result, they have contributed to the progress of the secularization of society. That's something we must think about is when we are silent, then society does not know the truth, does not know the way. When our leaders are not upholding those laws, we are to speak. We cannot be silent. We are to be witness to Christ and to the truth. We pray that God, too, would raise up Good civil leaders in great number. We heard this morning about how leadership matters. How it matters. But we must not turn over 
to these leaders proclamation and practice of the living Word of God. We recognize that they are not competent to do so. We're called to live out our faith in public life. Speaking the truth before all the world, for this world belongs to God and His Word must be heard in it. The church of that day, the day of the Reformers, was trying to lump the Reformers together with the Anabaptists and other anarchists, as we read at the end there. Debray wanted to argue against that on behalf of the Reformed Christians, making clear that the Reformed the Reformers were not seeking to rebel against the government, but to bring reform to the church so that she might be salt and light as God intended, and to recognize that indeed the Christians recognized that they were under a civil authority in all things lawful, in all things according to God's word. They were not rebels. The Bible is very clear that we must avoid those extremes. We're not to be those who are anarchists, wanting no government. We must also recognize that the civil government is not above God. We are called to be faithful witnesses. Proclaim what God's Word teaches. And it affects more than just what we do here. It affects everyday life. How we view others, image bearers of God. How do we view order? We recognize that we're under authority. And on and on we could go to think about what Scripture teaches. A anti-Christian thought or idea is the notion that we've just come from nowhere and that we're just products of chance and we'll arrive into this uh, world and disappear from this world with no meaning, with no significance, this idea of evolution. But in fact, we must argue against that, that no, humanity matters. Indeed, we are the crown of God's creation and we have meaning and we have purpose to live for the Lord, to make much of the Lord, that the entire world might sing his praises. We must not be silent. We must point all people, including those in authority to God, to him. For all live and move and have their being through him and will one day answer to him for what they have done with his word and what they've done with their position and their authority. Well, let's pray that God would help us to do that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you who are our ultimate authority, the one who rules over all things, over all creation, we recognize your supreme power has not corrupted you. Indeed, in your power, you work to redeem a world that has fallen into sin. You and your supreme power protect Preserve and build a church, a bride for your Son, who calls people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. You call us to proclaim your power and your majesty, that in you there is goodness, perfect goodness, that all are to live in keeping with your commands to know richness, and depth of life. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would be faithful in all of the places where you have put us in the spheres of influence that we have. 
that we would speak, that we would act in ways that point at living under your commands and according to your word brings great joy and peace, a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of adversity. And again, we pray for our authorities, our civil leaders. They too would understand that they are under authority, that we would be a people under God and be able to say it is in God in whom we trust. Hear us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.